This is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Zak. I'm your host, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C. On this episode of Reaganism, Roger sits down with Alexander Wing, who's the CEO and founder of Scale AI, which seeks to accelerate the development of AI applications. They discuss Mr. Wang's innovation in the AI space, the future of AI, government regulations, and its effects on AI, competition with China, and what that means for AI, and more. Alexander Wang, welcome to Reaganism. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you are the CEO and founder of Scale AI, which delivers, and I'm quoting here, high quality training data for AI applications such as driving cars, robotics, mapping, and increasingly stuff related to the world of the military. We're going to get into all of that in a second. You left MIT after one year at age 19 moved to the Bay Area shortly after, you founded Scale AI, and Forbes, uh, not too long ago, ran a story on you. Uh, so if the company uh, hadn't been successful already and people didn't know about your work already, now you made it because Forbes gave you that full profile, which was actually a really excellent piece. Uh, let's just start with a bit of the bio. Tell us what brought you to that moment where you call your parents and you say, I'm leaving MIT, horrifying news for any parents to hear, and I'm starting a company on AI. How'd that go down? I have a daughter who's uh, about to start college in a year or so. There you go. Well, uh, well, if she calls you to drop out, you know, let her follow her dreams is, uh, is maybe my, my piece of advice. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I, was, uh, I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Both my parents were, were physicists who worked at the National Lab there. So I always grew up very much so in the, the heart of you know, the intersection between national security and technology. And I'm sure we'll get into that um, coming up here. But, uh, you know, all throughout childhood, I think um, artificial intelligence, you know, always is very alluring as as maybe the the sort of um, the the grand prize of technology in many ways. Like how, you know, it's this miraculous thing that that um, humanity and humans are so intelligent and and, you know, what would it be like to be able to develop that technologically as well? Um, and so I was, I was enthralled by the field. I was, I was studying at MIT, and then I realized pretty quickly that the the actual challenges and the actual bottlenecks to the technology were extremely mundane. Um, you know, it wasn't oh, you know, there there weren't enough sign mad scientists in labs that were sort of cooking up the next best, best thing. It was um, a a very visceral lack of data to fuel these algorithms. And and at the end of the day, all these all these AI algorithms ranging from self-driving cars to now ChatGPT to, you know, whatever uh, uh, implementations we want to build for the military and for national security, they all boil down to the data upon which they're built. I'd seen this firsthand, you know, I wanted to build a camera inside my refrigerator that would tell me when my roommates were stealing my food and uh, um, learned pretty quickly that that was an extremely difficult task because again there was no data to work off of there was nothing to 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 base these algorithms on top of and so that was sort of the inspiration and i think that the the piece that we've been you know that i've been most proud of over the past 7 years since starting the company has been you know we've really been a part of many of the the huge breakthroughs uh, in artificial intelligence since then. You know, we worked very closely on self-driving cars. We worked with um, the companies that were doing the first deployments of L4 technology of full self-driving um, in city environments. Uh, we've worked with OpenAI since 2019 mm. um, and all the way back to GPT-2. And, and uh, you know, I like to say it's been a four-year overnight success. And it's been incredible to just see 
the past six months of progress in artificial intelligence, you know, it is uh, truly, truly, it is one of the most incredible times to be a technologist well, ever. I want to get after all of that. And of course, if we would have had a conversation a year ago, same thing, listeners and viewers would be far less familiar with what you're talking about. It would have seemed very foreign to them, not familiar. And of course, you, know, you had that uh, quip just now, four years overnight, right? This idea that you know, ChatGPT comes out and we're all living and experiencing what you have been thinking about working on for so long with large language models. I want to get into all of that, but pick up on one thread of your bio and your parents working at Los Alamos. Uh, and of course, nuclear uh, weapons um, sector, uh, this is the research labs and the like. You know, we had a conversation with Jeff Bezos, another prominent founder. Uh, his company did pretty well whose grandfather came out of the national lives as well. Are you aware of that? Um, yeah, actually, I think, I think Amazon, both Amazon and Microsoft, I believe, I believe were both initially started in, uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, either Albuquerque or, or somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, I didn't know that, that Jeff Bezos, grandfather came out of the national labs, but I think that this is just a testament to, you know, the great public private, you know, public, um, partnership where, you know, so much innovation ultimately does come out of the labs. Well, it's clearly something that gene pulls, some of the exposure and and this kind of familiarity with, you know, national security, public service, kind of American companies. Jeff Bezos, not too long ago, said at our Reagan National Defense Forum, which we've had the privilege of you attending, that in his mind, it was always very clear that Amazon was a national security company, you know, a company that should support U.S. national security. And of course, in the years since, uh, from the business standpoint, they've got them more involved. Scale AI, of course, doing the same. We'll get down a little bit. You have many uh, top shelf customers from Microsoft to Meta, uh, and of course, US Army, US Air Force on the security side. Let's go a little bit deeper in terms of what Scale AI, AI does. And you talked about kind of these bottlenecks. It's a very kind of mundane bottlenecks. It's referred to often as data labeling, and it seems to be very uh, people intensive in terms of your slice of it. Give us a little bit more color and granularity on, 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 on the kind of the bottleneck that you were seeking to solve and the people intensive uh, element of, of your business. Yeah. So, so one of the, so if you look at all of the recent research and all of the breakthroughs in AI, it really, um, it really boils down to a really simple equation. You know, the, the more computational power you throw at them, so the more NVIDIA GPUs and, and other chips and hardware that you can throw at them, plus the more data that you can throw at these models um, yields just stellar, you know, incredible levels of performance. And the biggest breakthrough, honestly, and it sounds so simple, of the past, um, you know, let's call it three, four years has been just scaling these things up to the max. So scaling up the amount of data, scaling up the amount of compute, um, scaling up the model sizes all the way up to the max and just seeing um, seeing these incredible models uh, come out of that. And so what we specifically help with, you know, when you when you think about these algorithms, they they don't just sort of magically learn all of these concepts and all these things out of thin air. They learn them from data. And that data often is um, you know, is somehow generated by humans. So whether it's internet data, which is has all emerged from us using the internet and typing our thoughts and taking photos and, you know, interacting with one another on the internet, or it's via a process by which experts will sort of help produce data from scratch. Um, our, you know, at scale, maybe our specific uh, breakthrough or secret sauce or what we really focused on was how do you take 
a tech-enabled and AI-enabled approach to actually producing all this data. So to your point on 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 being very people intensive, you know, I think the state of the art before we really got involved was, you know, you would you would just have to have people go through huge amounts of data very inefficiently. And and our perspective always was that that can't be the technical cutting edge state of the art approach. Um, and and so we've we've sort of pioneered an approach which involves significantly more automation, significantly more technology, and and um, has actually involved you know more and more fine grained experts because they're sort of able to be higher and higher leverage in the system. And through that process, we've been able to just dramatically scale the amount of data that the AI industry has has worked with. All right, and has an endless appetite for. And you refer to your metaphor as a kind of picking shovels during the gold rush. Well, explain, so you, you, the, the, the AI, the scale AI workforce essentially has developed the tools. You have, you have humans, right, with the best in class pick and shovel that could take that data and then give it to those trying to build these models, whether it be large language models or, or something else. So get that right? Yeah, exactly. Like our, you know, we, um, where we sit is really as a, um, as sort of a, infrastructure provider to the overall industry, not unlike NVIDIA or these other these other chip companies, um, you know, because what we found, and this goes back to all the way back to um, when I started the company, what I found is that, you know, there are so many companies working on building the next great model or building the next great AI tool or, or AI, AI product. Um, and there was a real dearth of people who are willing to, to sort of lay down the roads um, so to speak, uh, that needed to be the need to sort of like, you know, relatively mundane work, but stuff that had to be done to actually enable this great bout of innovation since then. Right. So whatever the sector, wherever you're going to use AI, they're going to need your product, right? I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. So whether it's a, a national security problem for the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Army, which we'll talk about, or automotive, which you referenced earlier, right? They, in order to have, you know, self-driving vehicles, they need a tremendous amount of data of a certain kind where scale AIs, you know, picks and shovels are at work sending that up to whoever is seeking that uh, from a, a Tesla to any other uh, company that's that that's wants to kind of get to that deliver uh, the future of auto automotive. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and to your point, like, you know, I think we're just scratching the surface of, uh, you know, the AI industry writ large, but also all of the different um, you know, industries, data sets, and, and applications of this technology. You know, I, I, you know, if you think about it, most of the data in the world out there is not actually on the internet. It's mostly private data, proprietary data that is really just sort of waiting to be, um, to be uh, implemented into an algorithm, into an AI system that can then just create huge amounts of, of, of surplus and and, and and even this stuff out there could be proprietary or only allowed to be used with you know in a certain licensed fashion and and it may not be and this is what we're hearing a lot about with uh chat gpt right it's 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 generating stuff but using proprietary perhaps at times uh data uh information let me read you something we'll zoom out for a second really fascinating on on scale ai and it's obviously been so successful congratulations to you and uh, your co-founder and all your colleagues Google Sundar Pichai said the following about AI. I said, AI is one of the most important things that humanity is working on. Humanity. It's uh, this is not a sector or business or, you know, one part of the world's economy. It's humanity. It's more profound. And then I don't know, he says, electricity or fire. Is he overstating the matter? 
Well, I think that if you, you know, if you were to take a purely anthropological uh, sort of viewpoint on the matter, and you sort of zoom out past, you know, the hype of ChatGPT and all these, all this, you know, all the recent, um, you know, hubbub, and you were to think about what are what are these big breakthrough technologies that that sort of then unleash just a, a sort of a a new mode or a new um you know it changes fundamentally what humanity looks like obviously there was you know as kind of as you mentioned there was fire there's electricity um the printing press was very was extremely influential that changed the world um, <laughs> religion yeah. for sure yep the industrial revolution um with with sort of uh you know modern manufacturing practice steam engine um those were those were massive uh breakthroughs and then um and then the computer and the internet and these have sort of you know there's these great um there's sort of this great blog post by Tim Urban of of Wait But Why that sort of describes this. But what what we're seeing is just human history itself is compressing so greatly. Like the innovations are happening faster and faster and faster and faster. And um and I think artificial intelligence is a breakthrough. You know, I don't think we've solved it yet, to be clear. And sure. you know, we're really we're really um seeing sort of the the early signs of of incredible AI, but it is a breakthrough on that on that level. And I think once we achieve it, then I think that, you know, what humanity looks like after that is very different. We're going to be significantly better at, you know, I think the next breakthrough after that comes even faster and faster and faster. And so um, I don't, I actually don't think he's, he's hyperbolic. Now I do think the question is how close are we to artificial general intelligence? How, you know, what are the limitations of the current technology? And I think that's a very helpful and, and very um, useful debate to have. Uh, but I believe in the tech. So Alex, obviously the world has been struck by this in terms of large language models and you know, chat GPT. What's the next one? What's the next one we're gonna be like, oh my goodness, is it automotive? Is it someplace else? I mean, you know, uh, school children putting their queries into chat GPT and getting uh, an awesome, you know, paper that would have taken them hours if ever been able to produce. That's transformative, but that's not the scale of fire or electricity. What's, what do you think the next one is that we have to be ready for? Yeah, you know, I think that um, uh, one one rule about artificial artificial intelligence, by the way, is that it is um, an incredibly unpredictable field. Uh, in the sense that, to your point on 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 ChatGPT, um, if you had asked even most experts in the AI industry. Uh, five years ago, where did they think the same question? Where did you where do you think the next breakthrough is going to be? You know, a lot of them would have said robotics right. or you know fully fully autonomous self driving vehicles. Some people would talk about quantum computing. You know, it was a totally different set of of breakthroughs, and ultimately it ended up being a a near human level um, chatbot. And so I think it's been you know it, it's been a very um, unpredictable industry. But what I would say is I I think that the next um, the next set of breakthroughs are going to be uh, scientific in nature. I think we're going to utilize AI to then, um, you know, solve some of the great technological challenges and the great scientific challenges that we as a as a humanity have been has been stuck on for for the past few decades. Yeah, you read about this in terms of like cancer research, right? And it's already been applied in some ways in terms of vaccines. But you think if we continue feeding it the data we're gonna be in a place where it could think in ways that humans wouldn't otherwise be able to think and, and therefore identify patterns and solutions that we couldn't have conceived on our own. I mean, and that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's shift the conversation a bit in terms of your outlook about AI. You don't uh, 
seem to you seem to be generally optimistic in in public reporting and our conversations that this is, could be a force for good. We'll talk about China in a moment here. You have uh, very uh, important views on that, which I want want to discuss with you. But but before we arrive at China, let's talk about your condition for AI to be something positive and and good for humanity. For you, it requires American leadership. Take us through that. You hear about the need for American leadership in a lot of ways here in Washington, D.C., you know, whether it's the war in Ukraine or the competition with China. Uh, you know, there's a moral kind of role that people think that a, the, the oldest democracy in the world should lead. We need leadership here. You're talking about leadership in AI. Tell us why that's the focus for you. Yeah, I think that, <clears throat> well, just in the same way that, you know, um, AI if you believe that AI, which I certainly do, that AI is sort of this this next level breakthrough, one of the most important technologies of our of our time, um, then then you look at the technology and it can be used for, you know, the most incredible empowering things for humanity, but it can also be used for some of the most um, you know, scary and 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 frankly awful uh, you know, uh implementations for humanity. It could be used for you know, heavily for misinformation and propaganda. It could be used heavily for suppression of minorities or suppression of certain people. Um, and, you know, obviously you said to delay before getting China, but they have shown, um, the CCP in particular has shown a, a great willingness to apply these breakthrough technologies for um, blatant human rights violations. And so, um, and so if you, if you think about where we are <clears throat> Geopolitically, and I, I, you know, I say American leadership in context of obviously the, you know, where, you know, the state that the world is in. The, the countries that um, uh, are most technologically advanced, you know, there's there's a big trade-off between democratic systems and and non-democratic systems and totalitarian systems. And, um, you know, I personally believe for a technology like AI, which um, has such a huge, great potential for misuse. To, to make sure that we as a society are on the happy path, we need to make sure that we're instilling it and imbuing it with, you know, value, democratic values, values of, of basic human rights, um, values that I think we as a society can all agree with. And I think America is um, one of the only places where you can, this can happen, where you have not only this confluence of the proper value systems, the proper democratic values and the proper belief in human rights, as well as the innovation engine, the sort of um, the technical capability and prowess to ensure that, um, you know, we usher in this technology in the right way. Yeah, fascinating. Let's stay on this point for a little bit, because what I hear you saying is nurturing values in a technology that fundamentally is nurtured by humans. <laughs> I mean, that just the way you talk about data, what your business does, it's and, and generating these models and 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 allowing the applications to play out in all these ways from you know health to security and everything in between it it does make sense intuitive for a non-technical person that values here matter and and that in Washington and the world of government and and you were here recently I want to refer to an event that scale I hosted here at the Reagan Institute by quoting a congressman who spoke there uh, Mike Gallagher congressman from Wisconsin who's leading the the select committee but you know, regulation becomes the language that Washington uses, right? And this idea that, you know, we have to see what's going to come with this. And, and some have gone so far as to call for a pause until we figure out how to harness this technology. Take a minute just to reflect on 
you know, that outlook, uh, you know, the place for regulating the AI sector such as it is um, before it's rolled out in the way that we saw with uh, chat GPT and large language models. Uh, and this notion somehow that you, know, you could put this on pause, you know, I think you and I would agree that one of the most important reasons not to do that is because if we're not moving forward and staying in the lead, your word leadership, then someone else will and that likely will be China. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but 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 give me a perspective as a as a as a company that that you lead that you found that's in the AI space, knowing that the Washington is is gearing up to figure out how to harness this in the form of regulation. Yeah, well, what I'll first say is I I think regulation is is needed and very appropriate. I think the technology has progressed um, extraordinarily quickly, and um, you know I think the the worst thing that could happen is. Uh, if we didn't have the right regulatory frameworks to keep up with the pace of technology, given just how quickly it's moving. So I'm, I, I, for one, applaud a lot of the efforts within Washington to really um, deeply understand the technology, which I, you know, I see a lot of, uh, and, and based on that understanding, understand what are the, what are the right ways to sort of um, ensure that there, there are reasonable guardrails in place. Um, I, you know, I think from my perspective, I think the greatest, uh, risk that we have is misuse of the technology um, mm. versus you know the technology itself. You know, there's people who are sort of uh, fundamentally afraid of you know the risk that the AIs are going to take over and we're going to have a super intelligence that we can't control. Um, you know, I personally think that's further off. Uh, although this is one of these you know uh, um, really uh, fiery discussions that you have in San Francisco uh, on a, a now a day to day basis, but <laughs> um, uh, but. Um, I, but I believe misuse is is the real thing that we need to keep in mind. And I think there's there's both uh, there's both intentional misuse by bad actors and there's there's just uh, negligence. Um, you know, there are folks who may be perfectly um, well-meaning, but just don't undergo the right due diligence to actually deploy the technology in a safe um, and scalable way. And I think we're even seeing some of that in how a lot of um, a lot of companies were raced to roll out technology that even so far has caused some level of consumer harm. You know, there was this there was this case of um, an individual in Europe uh, who, uh, you know, spoke to a chatbot for um, weeks and weeks. And then at the end of that, decided to um, to kill himself. You know, these are there is there is a real there are real risks with this technology that we need to be mindful of. Um, now, I divorce that from the question of taking a pause on the technology sure. itself because i think um you know there is uh there is a need yeah, kind of as we discussed for american leadership for the technology for artificial intelligence um we need to lead and uh you know i think there's the reality is uh our near peer um competitors are not going to pause uh, on AI development. Uh, a, they're behind, but B, you know, they view this, you know, the CCP has talked explicitly about how they view AI as a historic opportunity to, you know, potentially leapfrog the United States and they want to be a leader in artificial intelligence by 2030. Um, and and we see it, you know, I don't think they, they want to lead. I mean, this is not about be a leader, kind of be a peer. This they've decided, that is the Chinese Communist Party, is a place where they want to have a comparative advantage, that they want us to be second to them uh, because they seem to, at least their leadership understands the implications and the potential yeah. of leading. And them. and and they, this is, it's happening in real time. There's, uh, uh, I, I recently uh, counted, there's six 
um, Chinese AI labs that are all funded at the level of sort of um, one of the great labs in the United States, like an open AI level, so to speak. Um, so they're they're moving extremely aggressively. Many of them have um, ex-employees from the leading companies in the United States. Um, so there is there's a certainly a transfer of know-how that is going to happen um, uh, regardless of what of of whether we pause or not. And so we need to take it super seriously. Let me let me read you uh, what Congressman Gallagher said about a pause in AI and the need to regulate. He warned that as people consider such a pause uh, to AI advancement to lay ground rules, right, to essentially to regulate our adversaries, namely the Chinese Communist Party, this is Mike Gallagher speaking, are collecting. And let's get this part extraordinarily clear, stealing troves of data to train and equip their systems against us. The danger is not simply their actions, it would be in our lack of action. Anytime we see it, it's Anytime we seed is time used against us. Maintain the American technological edge in society and most certainly on the battlefield means full steam ahead. Peggy Noonan, who was someone advocating the pause in making the case, said, and don't tell me China's the reason, feeling that we need to, as a country, to be true to our values, my words, not hers, but this way I understood it, uh, need to take time to figure out how to infuse and grow this in such a way. Uh, it sounds to me you're sympathetic to Congressman Gallagher's outlook and view the competition as that cutthroat. You've written about AI and competition with China. Uh, give me your take on on what Mike Gallagher said. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, um, I can appreciate both perspectives because I think that it is um, you know, it is certainly a very important technology, and I think we want to be very thoughtful about it. And I, I don't think, um, I think we would all uh, regret if we felt we had moved too quickly in deploying the technology, and and that caused you know harm to our country, to our to our values. Um, I think there there's two separate questions here. One is on the development of the technology, which yes. I I think we we cannot um, you you know we can't take our foot off the gas because that is um that is the the most important uh thing for you know the, i frankly i think the future of of us china competition um but but then and then there's the deployment of the technology and and i think that that we need to have sort of um we need to realize these two things are not the same you can be developing the technology extremely aggressively be working on building cutting edge ai techniques um ensure that you have the greatest resources in the world working on this ensuring that we have you know the largest supercomputers the largest data sets to be able to do this do this work and then and then i think you have decisions as to how you deploy that how you roll it out to the american population how you roll it out in these industries how you roll it out um to let's say uh diagnose um diseases and how do you use it to uh, how do you control misinformation that's a separate set of topics that i think we should be thoughtful about but we should not stop on the development yeah no that's a great distinction important distinction although you can make an argument that even development needs to be regulated needs to involve some sort of oversight and the same we, we started out our conversation talking about uh the nuclear enterprise in this country the infrastructure and you wouldn't have uh people in the lab working on nuclear technology without the appropriate regulatory agencies uh, aware and putting some guardrails in terms of how they do things and if they're you know pursuing something that there's there, there's awareness there uh so i think even on the development side you're hearing people say there there, there should be some sort of regulatory framework but but no doubt uh 
an important uh, distinction there. Um, one other area as we think about this is open and closed AI. So, you, you know, you don't do the pause, but what you hear a lot is, hey, this shouldn't be like, I don't know, the way we deal with technology in other spaces where um, software is open and everybody gets to comment and they, you know, the best practice becomes a convention and everybody's learning from everybody else's work product open. There's an argument to say, hey, we should, we should entertain doing this in a closed fashion uh, to get after uh, effectively, you know, what Congressman Gallagher was speaking about, that whether it's through legal or illegal means, uh, others are, are, are stealing or just taking what we've done. And if, if winning is critical here, as, as you take that view, Alex, uh, then we ought to be closed. How do you think about that? Yeah, there's, um, it's a, uh, it's a nuanced topic. Um, I I'll say a few things I do. I do. Um, I do genuinely believe that open ecosystems and open source software has been, uh, in aggregate, a, a great accelerant for, for American innovation and American, um, and, and, and sort of progress in artificial intelligence. And, you know, this is because not, there's there's 300 million brilliant people in the in the United States. Um, not all of them are going to be in the room where there's some closed lab uh, working on this technology, and you enable sort of a much broader ecosystem of individuals to contribute to the technology. Now there are obviously the risks that um, other countries can sort of uh, you know draft off of uh, this open ecosystem, and um, and certainly uh, there is a real risk to that. But you know this. What will I think has happened with software, you know, if we look at the internet and software, what's happened is it's been a booster rocket for American capabilities and American technology. And um, and there are some positive externalities, you know, other people gain, but it's been this sort of like, you know, huge, huge uh, boost for, for the American innovative ecosystem. It pulls the best and brightest from across the world into the United States to participate. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a very positive force. Um, Good. The the other piece I was just going to mention is that um, you know the open ecosystem is going to exist with or without American cooperation at this point. These are some recent developments. You know the the whole industry is moving so quickly. But I think roughly a month ago um, there was uh, the UAE released a leading uh, open source large language model like you know a system like ChatGPT um, called Falcon Forty Billion and. Um, and this system, you know, it's the the history of this is very interesting because what they what the UAE did is they procured, you know, a large cluster of NVIDIA GPUs, and then they um, they contacted a uh, a French startup. You know, so French, was like, NVIDIA GPUs. That's the general processing unit. That NVIDIA, the big the AI, the AI chips, effectively, yep. right? Yep, they got the AI chips, and they um, and then they reached out to um, uh, a French. Set a spread of set of French researchers who then did the actual development to build a cutting edge large language model, and then they and then they they open sourced it. You know, they decided to publish it um, to really to put UAE on the map of this mm. global um, AI race. And um, it's an extremely performant model. It is uh, arguably uh, the most performant uh, open source model that's out there right now. And and I think this is going to be more of a trend. I think that there's um, there's going to be a a sort of global dialogue, a global open ecosystem with artificial intelligence. And um, I think it's important that the United States participates in that. That's too. a great point. The race is on and 
you can close, but it will end up potentially, based on what you've just uh, described, harming you more than than helping. It almost presupposes that by closing, you'll be able to close the lead, <laughs> you know, or sustain the lead, I should say. Um, remaining minutes before we hit the lightning round, one of the unique facets and one of the reasons you and I had the opportunity to get to know each other and engage is Scale AI has unabashedly been a company that supports U.S. national security interests. You have a thriving, best I can tell, commercial business, but also uh, very uh, deliberately in a focused fashion went to support the AI needs of uh, the U.S. government and U.S. national security agencies. So it was this dual-use company, which makes sense given the description. Love for you to talk a little about that. The workforce piece is quite interesting because you, you're really deep in the global south and, and in terms of those supporting uh, scale AI's work, but in terms of the national security and U.S. government work, that seems to be tied to, you know, within the United States. That's got to be a challenging uh, thing to do on the management side. But but more broadly, here you are, you're doing the most sophisticated businesses in the world of AI, and then you enter working with the U.S. government. What's your impression? How much are they utilizing it? What's the optimization opportunity uh, for, you know, military, for example, uh, is it something there where they need to be? Are you optimistic or deflating to see where our military is using uh, AI and particularly uh, your products? Yeah, you know, I think I think we as a country are in the first innings of of a real, um, a very important transformation, and and that is sort of like this next great technological transformation of our of our warfighter, of our national security capabilities writ large. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're extremely early in this process. And um, I think, you know, everyone within the military uh, will readily admit that uh, we have a lot of work to do. And we have we have to, um, we have to start uh, laying the groundwork for this, you know, this, this major transition. And, and, oh, by the way, we don't have that much time because uh, we, we are, um, we are in, in very uncertain geopolitical climate. Um, so, so I think it's I think it's incredibly important. You know, one of the reasons I think at this point we're one of the you know the only AI companies um, that actually has has chosen uh, very deliberately to commit ourselves to national security. And um, the sort of the history of how it came about is that you know uh, coming from Los Alamos um, and having this sort of um, having it sort of emblazoned in my mind, the story of the Manhattan Project and, you know, all these brilliant scientists who came together to defend our country and helped usher in this, you know, one of the one of the huge factors for this, this long period of, of relative peace, Pax Americana, um, uh, has been has been this technological innovation. Um, it felt like we were we were moving more and more towards the precipice of, you know, the next great uh, technological breakthrough that that could could define in many ways the sort of the next era of whatever um you know whatever uh, the, the sort of like next era of Pax Americana and um and this is against a backdrop of you know the largest technology companies the most innovative AI companies uh, refusing to work with yeah. uh, with the US uh, national security enterprise and um it was a really strange you know almost uh it it almost didn't make any sense, um, or it doesn't. It really doesn't make sense. Um, but realize, you know, if if it doesn't make sense to me, I can talk about it as much as I want. But I sort of, you know, we have we have a role to do. We have a duty to fill, and we have we have a role to play. And so um, that's really why we made this this great commitment. And um, you know, I think in in the years that we've been doing this for the past, you know, uh, four or five years, um, 
what 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 I've personally found is uh, this this incredible everyone within the DoD, everyone within the the national security uh, community deeply understands. Yes, we need modernization. We need better software. We need better AI. This needs to happen as quickly as it possibly can. And then the realities are just that the system is uh, is. Uh, has hurdles, places hurdles, and it makes it difficult to modernize as quickly as all of us intuitively understand we would like to. And we're seeing great progress on this front, don't get me wrong. But I think that the um, it's it is a I think the most um, frustrating part of the entire uh, the entire situation is there is not a single person who uh, does not think we need to move faster in modernizing our warfighter and modernizing our um, our capabilities. But um, but even with all that. There's sort of some some realities to the system, which means it moves a bit too slowly. Yeah, I think you're being diplomatic with saying it moves a bit too slowly, but I think part of it is leadership recognizing this needs to be done and invested in. Part of it is is you know kind of having everybody down in the organization understand it in the same way the world is now understanding, you know. Chat GPT and large language models, and I think on the on the military side and 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 the military operations to really conceive of how the AI could could transform our military platforms, for example, or how the military does does business. And uh, we need that. The military, no doubt, needs that accelerant the same way that Chat GPT accelerated people's understanding of what what um, AI could do. One follow up on that, and then we'll go to lightning round. Just in terms of you're talking about. Scale AI and its approach to national security in the U.S. military, distinct from other AI companies that were in someplace between hesitating to engage to just not engaging. One of the things you hear is because the workforce wouldn't support it. There was some sort of conception of, you know, hey, the workforce can dictate where they feel this technology should go. And if they feel that the U.S. military wasn't moral, so therefore it's against my morals and I can't, you know, work in that space. Um, you are such a, a workforce-intensive entity, right? Scale AI has it been hard to recruit, particularly you know the the U.S. Uh, business that's focused on supporting the U.S. government, national security agencies. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one. You know, I think that this is this has been a question for um, this is maybe a question for us, even as we were sort of embarking on this journey. And um, I think this is an example where um, you know. Uh, our intuition was was incorrect. Where there's actually uh, a ton of people out there, a ton of incredibly talented engineers and 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 AI people and and builders who um, are incredibly excited to support national security. You know, recognize that this is um, this is one of the most important issues of our time, and uh, and know that we need to build these systems to to ensure you know the the sort of sanctity of our democracy. We, we've um, you know, one of the things that we've done, we built a generative AI platform, uh, Scale Donovan, which allows uh, the the U.S. government to actually utilize and partake in all of the all of these advancements in large language models. Um, our workforce was incredibly excited to build this out and 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 actually bring large language models into the hands of our um, of our men and women who are serving our country. And and in this process, we deployed um, the first large language model into a classified network. Uh, for the U.S. government, and you know, I, I think this is interesting for a few reasons. First off, um, I think it's crazy that uh, it's 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 incredibly exciting. I think for for myself, and and we should think exciting for our country that um, that a small company like ours, like Scale, can have 
such a large impact in actually pushing forward um, the the sort of the ball for our national security, um, uh, you know, our national security modernization and where we're exactly we're at. Um, I think that's very encouraging. I think that's sort of, you know, if anything is, is from my perspective, is a call to action to all the technologists out there, like, hey, you can have, you can make a very big difference um, in just a matter of years if if you really focus on it. Um, and I think that the um, the disappointing, uh, you know, uh, viewpoint here, the disappointing way to look at this is, um, you know, why aren't there more people right. trying to? Why are there more people trying to do this? Um, it is, uh, I think, intuitively to most people, one of the most important things that we can do uh, in our day and age is is ensure that. The United States is is properly modernized with with AI technology, and yet it's a it's it's a sparse field. Well, I think that perhaps there was disproportionate attention to those who said they didn't want to engage. I'm I'm, I'm from tech. I'm from Silicon Valley, and I'm not engaging, even though that was perhaps a minority set of voices that got disproportionate attention. And therefore, your decision to scale scale AI's work, you know, we're trailblazers in this regard. Others are doing the same, you know, kind of sister. Uh, you know, companies in the, in the tech space. And I just know in my own work, uh, if you look at it over the past decade, the number of tech companies, and there's all sorts of ways you could define them, but just broadly speaking, tech companies that now are in the defense arena uh, is, is you know, huge. And it's, it's, a, it's a monumental difference from where we were a decade ago. So perhaps, you know, I think we're, we're getting there. It took longer than it should, but I think, you know, uh, your efforts and others have uh, have have allowed kind of this this shift to take place. Uh, let's go to lightning round. We're with Alex Wang, the CEO and founder of Scale AI. Here's where we ask all our guests to provide their favorite Reagan book, favorite Reagan quote, or favorite Reagan speech. You can give us all three, two, or just one. What do you have to share? Yeah, there's a there's a quote from from one of his speeches um, that uh, that I particularly like. I think this was from his um, from his. Uh, 1967 inaugural as the new governor of California. So well, reaching you... back, I like this. Good. Yeah, All right, yeah. What do you got? Yeah, pulling it back. Um, the the quote is, uh, "Freedom is a fragile thing, uh, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. Uh, it's not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and defended constantly by each generation." Uh, and uh, ties nicely to this whole conversation that we were having uh, because I think it's important that this generation of technologists and 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 AI scientists understand that uh, you know it is it is our duty to fight for freedom uh, as well as as well, well as our well said great quote one that he would repeat many times uh, and into his presidency and and ultimately we were talking about the China competition Alex and uh, our systems and I think in the end uh, because our system allows for freedom provides for freedom and and we're built around it that that is our comparative advantage and I think it plays out. Uh, in this arena of artificial intelligence. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll look forward to having you back. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Reaganism. New episodes premiere weekly every Monday on YouTube and all podcast streaming platforms. If you like this episode, be sure to let us know and share with a friend.